chapter 3, verses 19, and we'll do through 24 this morning. It's on page 1114. And I'm going to read first this morning. The reading from Romans, continuing right where Adele left off. Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, but now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you know perhaps that, uh, well, it was about a year and a half ago, our family bought a new car, a new-to-us car, which was actually a 1998 Chevrolet Suburban. And it's a big car, a lot of steel. It's really kind of valuable. All the parts in it were quite valuable. But we bought it from a nice gentleman um, who was very upfront about all the problems that this truck had. In fact, if you drove it down the road, there was a problem with the rear differential. And driving down the road, it went like this. And so that had to be fixed right away because otherwise we would, you know, our head would explode driving it anywhere. And so that got fixed and a few other things got fixed. And when it all added up, this $1,300 truck, which was really a great deal because it had brand new tires on the front, ended up being more like a $5,000 truck, which was still pretty much a good deal. And then there were some few things left over for me to do, which is my new hobby now, is working on cars, particularly cars that have enough room in the engine that you can actually get to things. There's no way I could work on a newer car than like 2,000, because it's just all crammed in there. So uh, as you know, maybe you, maybe you know I've done various things like that. But most recently, the most recent adventure, was I replaced the starter motor on the Chevrolet Suburban. And that was fun because uh, I went shopping for the starter motor. I compared prices. I figured out how much labor it would be, how much it would cost to take it in somewhere and have them do it. And um, so what I did was I, I bought some manuals, how to do this yourself. I got all my tools out. I laid them all out. I got the part out. I put the, the truck up on blocks. I'm not yet to the point where I have something called a lift stand. That's advanced, kind of advanced. I got, uh, but I got some rocks, or not rocks, but paving stones out of the garden, and I stacked them up, and I got one tire up on them so that, you know, the, the, the car was kind of sitting like this. Very safe, I think. <laughs> I'm still here. And I had all my tools and a light and glasses, because if you ever worked on the underside of a truck and you bump something, oil-encrusted dirt will fall straight in your eye. It's like a magnet, yink, you know. And so I had my glasses on also so I could see. And I followed the manual. I unscrewed all the parts. It's actually a quite a, it's one of the simplest and most trivial jobs to do actually is to replace a starter motor, especially if you can reach it. If you can't reach it, then it's more involved. But this was a, this was a, this was a very decent American car, easy to work on. And so 
I took off the old part, I put on the new, I remembered all the steps, I had to improvise here and there, that's always the case. And then the moment of truth, I reattached the battery cable and I heard a strange noise and I realize now that it was normal, but at the time it scared me. And then I thought, oh, this is electrical work. You can burn something out irreparably doing electrical work. So fingers crossed, I put the key in the ignition, I turned it, and the engine started. Woo! It's like, hallelujah! I just saved $100 in labor. <laughs> and I told my family that it would take 45 minutes. It took more like an hour and 45 minutes, not counting all the time that I spent buying the parts and researching how to do it. But it was fun, you know, so that was worth it to me. It was, it was like a great sort of, it's a hobby for me, okay? Um, now, I can't imagine what it would be like to tear a car down completely and take out all the old bad parts and put all of them back together again. It's beyond my skill, I don't have the tools for it, I don't have the time for it. But can you imagine how much work that would be even for someone who's trained? To take all the parts, take the engine all the way out, to replace all the pistons, to replace all the steering components, to replace all the electronical components inside the car. You can imagine what a big job that would be. And hopefully though, if you put it back together again, you'd have a really great car, you'd have practically a new car with an old car shell on the, on the outside, and if you don't care about that, you're just great, right? So I want to tell you that that's actually what Paul has been doing for the first three chapters of Romans. Not just replacing a starter, but he's been tearing the whole car apart of Judaism and the law. And his goal with the rest of Romans is to put it back together again with new parts that are designed to get the car where it really needs to go. One of the things he's torn apart while he's been talking about the law and righteousness and keeping the law and justification is he's been saying, that doesn't work. Keeping the law, we just read it. Adele read it, I just read a little bit of it too. Keeping the law will not give you the righteousness and justification that you're looking for. The law doesn't do that, and keeping the law doesn't do that. It's impossible because we're fallen human people. So your car is broken if you think that the law is going to get you into reconciliation with God. So Paul is saying, and he's trying to solve this problem of a Roman community that is split between Jewish people and Christian Gentile believers. They're all Christians, but they come from different origins. And what he needs to do, he realizes, is dismantle a good part of their understanding about what the law does. And he says over and over again, it will not make you righteous because you cannot keep it. It's simply impossible. But that's a real problem. And the problem is this. If you talk about Judaism in the time of Jesus, but even somewhat now, there are all sorts of things that are what we would call identity markers for Judaism. Things that make Judaism Judaism that are central to what it means to be Jewish. One of them is that ethnic component. You have to be descended from Abraham, right? One of it's a linguistic component. You have to speak Hebrew or Aramaic, one of those languages, right? One of them is a cultural component. It has to do with the festivals, how we dress, things like that. But above all of those is the law. The law is identity to Jewish people. Does everybody understand that? I mean, this is really important. 
The law is identity. The law is life. The law shapes us in all these ways. And so a Jewish person would say something like this, the law constrains life, but it also gives us freedom. It tells us who we are. It tells us what we do. It tells us what we don't do. It tells us who we talk to. It tells us who we don't talk to. What organizations we can join or not join. It defines the gender roles in our society very explicitly. You want definition, it'll, it'll, the law will give it to you. It defines relationships between generations. It covers financial and business dealings. It manages family relationships. In the case of men, the law makes a permanent mark on their bodies. That's identity, right? It protects us from evil and it deals justice when we've been wrong. And so if you take away the law, then identity can really crumble. And this is really why Jesus saw so much opposition when he expanded the law or when he clarified the law. Even last week, we heard Pastor Victoria preach about the Sabbath and Jesus' expansion of the law of the Sabbath. And that was incredibly threatening because if I start wiggling your foundation of your identity and saying, it's good, but there's some... There's some stuff we need to straighten out here. You're going you're gonna to tear my hand off, <laughs> aren't you? Please don't. But you know what I'm saying. Don't mess with that. Don't touch that cobra. But Jesus did, always. And so does Paul. He's not going to tear the law completely apart. He's not going to tear away identity completely. But if your identity is that your righteousness, in other words, your covenant relationship with God, depends on your ability to keep the law, that has to be deconstructed and put back together again. The parts have to be taken out and replaced with new parts that work better. A new starter, a new battery, you name it. So, here's our text. Take a look at our text today. Look at verse 20. This is what he says. We're starting off right away. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Okay, it's, I don't think it could be any clearer than that, could it? The law will not, in its observance, give you any kind of righteousness. It doesn't function that way. It has a different function. The car we've been driving won't get us where we want to go. Rather, he says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law is of great value. It teaches us that we're sinners. We're going to talk about this more later. There's a whole subsection of a chapter devoted to that. You can also find it in Galatians. The law helps us know that we're sinners. Uh, and, and just in case people are worried, he's, he's going to say, he's not going to say that the law is bad. You know, he's very emphatic about that. What shall we say then, that the law is evil? No, by no means, never. The law is wonderful. It is very, very good. It just won't get you where you think it will get you. Something else has to get you there. So now, if you look next, verse 21, and maybe you have uh, memorized this verse as a child, I encourage you to memorize it now. This crescendo, one of the first crescendos in Romans. There's a lot of darkness, judgment, condemnation about lawlessness and breaking the law and this realization that you can't keep the law. And so the people in that room listening might have been going, oh, this is a dark letter. This, this is a heavy stuff. We, you're, you're kind of, and you're also you're kind of shaking our foundation here, Paul, especially the Jewish people in the, room, in the room who had defined a lot of their existence by law keeping. 
But there's this crescendo now. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Romans 3.21. But now, and you should always pay attention, right? But now, a righteousness from God, and notice the next three words, apart from the law, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Law with a capital L there. Now, God has understood that the law would not restore his people with, uh, into some sort of covenant relationship with him. They would not put them under his wing in the Garden of Eden, walking in the evening breeze. It's about relationship with God. Law, keeping, law was good. He gave it to Moses. But God realized over time that that relationship with his people that he so longed for was not going to ultimately be served by them keeping the law because they were incapable. We go over that over again. So God had to find a new way. God said, the law isn't working. It's not doing what I hoped it would because the people are not who I hoped they would be. So I have to find a new way, apart from the law, to bring back that relationship that he desires to have with us. Now this word that we see here, apart, is the Greek word chorus or choris. It means without, besides, apart from, independent from, or a marker of dissociation. And so you could read it this way, apart from the law, independent from the law, without the law, besides the law, dissociated from the law, a righteousness from God has been revealed or made known. It is not devoid of the law. It it's doesn't, doesn't not take the law into account, but yet it doesn't operate through the law. It is apart and dissociated from the law. It's besides it. It's outside of it, apart from it, besides it. The law has a purpose, and we ought to keep it, but it can't save us. So next, again, one of the most important verses in the Bible, and you might have memorized this one too. They all kind of go together. This righteousness, verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So just let that dwell in you a minute. Let that dwell in you in a minute. This righteousness from God, the other way he found. He found another way. How did he go about it? The righteousness that couldn't work through the law now actually comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is God's detour around the law, if you will. It's the way of making it work, and it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the faithfulness and the obedience and the reliability of Jesus, being obedient to what the Father asked him to do. So God has to find a way to make a covenant with us, and he does it with Jesus. And so if we were want to take our car analogy a little bit, Paul wants to take the car apart, and he wants to remove all the law parts of the car. I don't know what the law parts of my car would be. Probably the battery, you know, maybe the starter, maybe the brakes, right? The law can act as brakes, right? Paul wants to take all the law parts out of the car, and he wants to replace them with Jesus parts. Can you imagine going to the, the, the um, car parts store and there's like Napa and Mopar and all these other funny names for the car parts, but what if there were Jesus car parts on the shelf? I don't know if I'd buy them actually for my car because I, I, it doesn't really mix. But in this case, this metaphorical car, Paul's getting Jesus parts off the shelf and he's replacing 
law parts with Jesus parts. This is the kind of car that will go where God wants it to go, into covenant relationship. If we stick with the law parts in your car, your car can only drive to condemnation and wrath. The law will not get you there. But the Jesus parts will get the car to righteousness, to justification, and to a full covenant relationship with God. Now, one wrinkle that has been coming up lately in New Testament scholarship is that I want to redirect you to verse 22. There's a phrase in the NIV which says this righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the middle of verse 22. Do you all see it? Faith in Jesus Christ? Okay, if you can find it there. It is actually possible that that could be translated as because through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's also an appropriate translation of that little phrase there. It has to do with genitives and things like that that I can't quite remember at the moment. If I, were, if I made space to remember all of that, I wouldn't have space for this. But if you ask me about it, I'll show you where it says these things. But it could be the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So then we would actually read this verse. This righteousness from God comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, I don't have a preference. You can have your own preference. I don't have a preference. I think they're both theologically correct. But there's a slight difference. I think that's worth exposing today for us. And one of the things is that belief is still important. Notice that this is still for those who believe. If you do it the first way, it kind of overemphasizes belief. Those who have faith in Jesus to all who believe. That's a little redundant, right? We already believed in Jesus. We already had faith in Jesus. Now we want to believe in him. So actually the second one makes a little more sense logically. It is happening. The righteousness comes from God through the faithfulness of Jesus. What is that faithfulness? It's his reliability. It's his obedience. It's his willingness to go to the cross. It's him sitting in the garden saying, not my will but thy will be done. That moment encapsulates all of his obedience, his willingness to go to the cross, to suffer and to die for the world. It comes through the faithfulness of Jesus, but it doesn't leave out to belief to all those who believe. So belief is important, but it changes the tenor a little bit. The power of this work that God does now depends more on the sincere and reliable efforts of Jesus and not as much as our believing it, although our believing it is important. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's interesting. It's an interesting wrinkle in New Testament theology these days, maybe the last 20 years or so. It's still ongoing. There's all sorts of implications about this, but we can, and we can explore them some other time, but it emphasizes the faithfulness and the relationship of God and Jesus. But for now, here's how I'd like us to end. And I want to ask you a question. The question is, are you willing to let God take you apart and put you together again his way. I'm going to point at myself too. It's incredibly challenging and painful sometimes to ask God to do that or to permit God to do that. And yet he always seems willing to if we ask him to. 
No, we have a lot of law parts in our car, okay? Here are our law, our, our law parts are our own efforts, our own list of good deeds that we've done, our donations to charity. You're going to get a chance this morning, right? You can pat yourself on the back when you're done. Please do pat yourself on the back and give, but still. Being nice to people, right? But the warning is that if we rely on those things, they will take us to the wrong place. If we ask God to judge us by our good deeds, he will. And it's not going to be a good outcome for us. It's not going to come out in our favor ever. Don't ever ask God to judge you on your good deeds. That's a huge mistake. Don't do it. I mean, this is really a warning. Don't ask God to judge you on your good deeds. Condemnation and wrath will follow. That's what Paul says in Romans. Ask God to judge you on the righteousness and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We set aside, if we ask God, if we, what we really need to do is we need to set aside uh, our own righteousness. And we stop keeping so much track of our own good deeds. And what's interesting is when we do that, when I stop keeping track of my own good deeds, I notice that I also keep less track of other people's bad deeds. Do you see how that works? <laughs> I'm very good at seeing my own de good deeds, and I'm very good at seeing other people's bad deeds. Are you like me? Maybe. I think you are. But if I pay less attention to my own good deeds and I stop keeping such copious notes on them, somehow I find that I'm less invested in keeping track of other people's mistakes. And do you know how much that improves relationships between me and them? A thousandfold. It's amazing. It's so great. So relationship is always building and growing when we do these things that Paul is talking about. Here's what I want you to let God do. Can God put you up on some crooked blocks? Can he get out his tools and follow the manual? Can he slowly and surely deconstruct you and pray that he's gentle, but you know there are some nuts and bolts that are under there that are on pretty tight, and he may need to bring some considerable wrenching into our lives so that we can loosen up enough to let go. I think you can all think about what I'm talking about now. But imagine all the new parts with the new parts smell. They're shiny, they're reliable, they never break down, they always work the way they're designed they get us where God wants us to go, back into his arms after all these years. So this week, I'm going to ask you to ask God if he'll begin that work on you, the work of freedom, the work of righteousness that's apart from the law, the work of giving you a new life and driving you ever closer to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. We pray that this week, you will open us up and you will replace what needs to be replaced and you will build us into the people that drive toward you. Amen.